Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Thyself. For this week's episode, I decided to get into something that's a little more crunchy for most people, something that's a little harder for most people to understand, and that is genetics. I do want to be clear, I'm going to be doing a very basic overview of genetics because there is obviously a lot of science behind genetics. There's a lot of new discoveries every day as scientists look further into the human genome, for example. And realistically, it'd be very hard for me to completely keep up with everything that's at the cutting edge there and give you all of that information. There, It would just be way more than I can fit in a half-hour podcast. So a lot of people have heard the term gene or chromosome or maybe even allele, depending on what sort of things you like to study. But in order to really explain what all of those things are, I'm going to go back to the basics of genetics, which is the genome. Your genome is your basic complement, your basic set of DNA. And it usually consists of one or more long strands of DNA that are is then organized into the chromosomes. So your chromosomes are different sections of your genetic makeup. There are 23 sets of chromosomes in the human genome. And each set of chromosomes contains a pair of chromosomes. These chromosomes are identical in terms of the genes and genetic material that is contained in them, but the exact makeup and what types of variations are there will vary depending on the two parents that donated those chromosomes to the offspring. This pairing of chromosomes does specifically refer to organisms that are diploid, meaning they have two sets of their chromosomes. However, there are also creatures out there that only have one set of their chromosomes, and they are referred to as haploid. For the purposes of this episode, I'm going to be referring almost exclusively to diploid organisms, because that is what humans are. And generally speaking, I believe that is what most people are going to have the easiest time relating to, simply because it's what applies to us. A term that I'm going to be using a lot and that I want to make sure I define really well for you is a gene. A gene is a section of the DNA on the chromosome that will then lead to certain characteristics being expressed by the organism in question. So for instance, if they're talking about genes that affect your eye color or your hair color, what they're talking about is a specific section of your chromosome that then affects your hair color or your eye color in some way. On any given pair of chromosomes, the gene that affects hair color or eye color or whether you're tall or short is going to be on the same place in each chromosome of the pair. However, the exact makeup of that gene and which sort of genetic factors it expresses can vary. And those variations, which then lead to different appearances, are referred to as alleles. 
So as a rough example, I'm going to talk about my own genetics. My father has blue eyes and my mother has brown eyes. My mother is also Japanese American, which means that statistically she is very likely to be homozygous for brown eye color. Homozygous meaning both of her alleles are the same. My father is also likely to be homozygous for eye color because blue eyes are generally more recessive to some of the other eye color traits. So knowing this information, I know that when I look at my own genetic makeup, the most likely situation is that my own genetic makeup is heterozygous for eye color, meaning I have one blue allele from my father and one brown allele from my mother. What this means then is that my children could receive either one of those alleles because when my gametes, my sexually reproductive cells, my eggs formed, they either took the brown allele or the blue allele. There are multiple genes that actually affect eye color. They used to think it was only two, and in more recent years, they've discovered that it might even be as many as 15 or 16. So this is an extremely basic example that I'm using, but it gets the point across. Though eye color is determined by the same gene, you can have multiple different variations of that gene being expressed, hence my father's blue eyes and my mother's brown eyes. This is a good lead-in also to the discussion of how exactly do we get half of our genetic makeup from our father and half of it from our mother. At the core, it's obvious that this is from the two of them coming together to form the zygote that becomes us. But at the genetic level, what ends up happening is that the creation of the gametes, the sexual reproductive cells, your egg or sperm, happens by having the genetic material in the cell split instead of reproducing itself. Most of the time when one of our cells reproduces itself, what happens is that all of our DNA in that cell gets replicated. So when one of your skin cells forms, a skin cell has replicated its DNA prior to splitting into two separate cells. But for your reproductive cells, what happens is that the DNA isn't replicated first, it's just split. So all of those pairs of chromosomes end up split into two different sets. So you end up with two cells that each only have half of the set of chromosomes. And so what happens is you end up with a whole bunch of cells that all only have half of the information needed to create a human. The two halves come together to form the zygote, that very first complete cell. And what you end up with is exactly half of the genetic information came from the mother and half of it came from the father. And that's how you end up with that combination. And it's how the different genes can end up with so many variations in alleles. Because, again, using my own eye color from my parents as an example, I know I got a brown eye allele from my mother, and I know that I got a blue eye allele from my father. So I know that in my own genetic makeup, in my reproductive cells, I have a 50-50 chance of it either expressing a brown eye allele or a blue eye allele. 
Alleles are also what people are referring to when they start talking about recessive versus dominant traits. Again, for example, using the brown versus blue eye color, which is only one of the genes that is used for eye color determination. Brown eyes are dominant to blue eyes. So when discussing genetics, you have to look at genotype versus phenotype. Your genotype is what combination of alleles do I have? And generally, this is expressed using different letters. So for example, brown eyes versus blue eyes is often referred to as the brown eye allele being a capitalized B and the blue eye allele being a lowercase b. So my genetic makeup then would be big B, little b, whereas my father's would be little b, little b, and my mother's would be big B, big b. So your genotype refers to whether you are big B, little b, big B, big b, that sort of thing. Your phenotype refers to what is physically expressed by your genotype. So again, going back to the blue versus brown eye color example, I know that my genetic makeup is big B, little b, but because brown eyes are dominant, I have brown eyes. There's a lot of variation in dominant versus recessive though. Again, eye color example, I have brown eyes. However, my brother who had access to the same brown versus blue alleles has hazel eyes. I know that this means on one of the genes that expresses eye color, one of my parents, at least, carries the allele that allows for hazel eyes. I don't know which of them has it, but I know one of them must, since that's where my brother got his genetic information. So just to summarize what I've gone over so far, and again, much simplified version, but your alleles are the different variations of your genes, and your genes are parts of your chromosomes, and your chromosomes are the different sections of your DNA. Your phenotype is what is physically expressed by your alleles and genes that you happen to possess in your genetic code. So whether you are tall or short or have blue eyes versus brown relates back to your phenotype, what is expressed. However, your genotype is the breakdown of which alleles you possess for that gene. So which versions of that gene does your genetic code have? Hopefully this is all making sense so far. Like I've said earlier, I know it's not an easy subject and I've been trying to keep terms and everything as simple and straightforward as possible. Hopefully I'm accomplishing that. If not, I apologize. I happen to love genetics. I think that it's a very interesting topic, but I understand that not everyone feels that way. So if you fall into that category, hopefully the little summary I just did will help a little bit as we're moving forward further into the topic. And with that, we're going to take our break and I'll be back with more information for you shortly. Okay, everyone. So this week, I'm going to tell you more about our Nerdsmith subscription drive. Here at Nerdsmith, we really want to be able to provide you all with quality content at no charge. None of our content costs anything. You get it 
for free. However, our subscribers do get access to special bonus content, monthly drawings, and during the subscription drive, we throw in a few extras as a thank you for all of our subscribers. To find out more, please go to nerdsmith.org slash donate to look up the information. You can also just go to nerdsmith.org and click on the donate option at the top of the page. One of the many benefits you can get for signing up during the subscription drive is also a discount on Nerd Alerts. Nerd Alerts are personalized messages that you can have myself or one of the other hosts present on air. So whether that means sending out a birthday shout out to one of your friends or saying congratulations to someone on their graduation or maybe just even thanking your DM for a really great game. You can find out more information at nerdsmith.org slash nerdalert. And with that, let's get back to talking about genetics. Whenever you talk about genetics, especially if you're trying to get into the hows and wherefores of how do we even know this information? When did we discover it? You can't do that without talking about Gregor Mendel. He was a monk in the 19th century, and his particular monastery actually focused a lot on research and science. And one of the things that he decided he wanted to research was plant hybridization. This ultimately led to him earning the posthumous title of the founder of the science of genetics, or sometimes he's referred to as the father of genetics, because his research set the groundwork for the vast majority of future research into genetics, possibly even all the future research into genetics. I'm not a geneticist myself, though I find it interesting. So that's actually something I am not 100% on. But I do know that the majority of it is based off of his work. He decided to study a particular type of garden pea. The reason being that he could find a lot of different variations of the seeds at his local market. They were readily accessible. There were a lot of different versions of the garden pea, so it gave him a good starting point. The other reason that he chose the garden pea is that that particular type of pea can either self-pollinate, meaning one plant can pollinate itself, or it can cross-pollinate, meaning a different plant can pollinate another one. So what that meant is that he had a lot of control over which plants would pollinate with which, and also which variations he would get, which combinations he could put together. It gave him the chance to pick and choose and then use that to create his experiments. He performed a long series of different experiments involving multiple generations of these pea plants, and he looked at seven specific traits. The seven specific traits he looked at were whether or not the seeds were round or wrinkled when they were ripe, whether the seeds were yellow or green inside. He also looked at whether they had purple or white petals on the flowers, whether the pea pods when they were ripe were inflated or pinched, meaning that they sort of formed to the shape of the pea. He also looked at whether the unripe pods were either yellow or green. And then he looked at the axial or terminal flowers, meaning were they, did the flowers form at the top of the plant or were they all over it? The top of the plant being the terminal flowers and the all over flowers being axial. 
And lastly, he looked at whether or not the plants would have long or short stems. So was it a very long, tall plant or was it a shorter plant? Using those seven characteristics, he was able to perform the experiments he did, which gave us the basis for genetics as we know it today. Prior to starting his research into the different crosses and combinations of plant lines, Mendel actually took two years to breed specific lines of plants so that he could be sure that that particular plant always bred true. So he spent two years making sure these particular pea plants only had white flowers and these particular pea plants only had purple and so on. And he did that for each of the seven traits. By doing this, he made sure that his different plant lines bred true, and he had given himself basically a control experiment for his scientific study, meaning that he knew exactly what the outcome was going to be from a particular line of plant. This line was always going to have purple flowers. This line's always going to have yellow, unripe pea pods. It meant that he knew from the get-go when he combined things, what his two starting points were. And that made it easier for him to track as well as easier for him to figure out along the way how the genetics came together in the first place. With the genetic information we now have in modern times, we know that by doing that, what Mendel did is actually ensure that all the plants from a particular line would be homozygous, meaning only having the one type of allele for a particular trait. In one of his earliest experiments, Mendel looked at the flower color. He had bred a true line of white-flowered pea plants and a true line of purple-flowered pea plants. He decided to cross them and see what would happen. So he took the crosses and did them both ways. He took purple flower pollen and used it to fertilize a white flowered plant and he took white flower pollen and used it to pollinate and fertilize a purple flowered plant. In both cases those initial plants that he used for the cross are referred to as the parental generation or P generation in genetics. His P generation crosses resulted in the first filial generation, so the first offspring generation, which gets referred to genetically as F1. His F1 generation contained all purple flowered plants. From there, he took the F1 generation and self-pollinated them. So he used the plant to pollinate itself to see what would happen. And he ended up getting a lot of plants with purple flowers, but he also got plants that had white flowers. From his first cross of the two different pea generations, he was able to determine that which way the cross was done didn't matter. And with his second test of the F1 generation, he was able to determine that even though all of the F1 generation had purple flowers, some of them also contained information that allowed them to create white flowers the second time around for the F2 generation. This was when he first coined the terms dominant and recessive, because even though all of the F1 generation had purple flowers, they still contained the character needed to create white flowers in the F2 generation, which meant that the purple flowers were dominant to the white flowers, but the white flower genetics were still present 
even if the purple was expressed. This goes back to earlier when I was talking about the genotype versus the phenotype. Phenotypically, all of the F1 generation was purple flowered, but genetically, their genotypes were varied, and they all, because of his crosses, had to be heterozygous. All of the F1 generation had the big P and the little P, so he ended up with a lot of both colors in the next generation. After discovering that his F2 generation had flowers of both colors on the plants, Mendel then did something that really is what triggered some of the basis of our genetic research and the genetic knowledge we have now. And he counted the number of white flowered plants versus purple flowered plants and discovered that there was a roughly three to one ratio in favor of purple flowers. Historically, there are other scientific experiments that also achieved these same ratios in regards to genetic breeding. However, his is the first one where the scientist actually looked at the ratios, at the quantification, at how many of each type did I get out of these crosses, and used those numbers to go back and figure out exactly how the crosses worked and that it was a constant ratio because after he finished with the white and purple flowers, he did the same experiment with the other six characteristics that he studied and discovered the same thing. In the F2 generation of his crosses, he consistently got a three to one ratio in favor of a particular trait. Now, luckily he chose to use these pea plants because in some genetic crosses, humans, for example, are a much more complicated organism. And for us, some of these crosses would not have worked as smoothly because we have different genes that can all affect the same phenotype. But for the peas he used and the characteristics that he chose, everything was fairly straightforward. And this allowed him to discover that this ratio existed. For obvious reasons, Mendel then went on to thoroughly test the F2 generation, especially the dominant colored ones, to see what would happen. In one particular study where he was looking at the seed color, so whether the peas were yellow or green inside the pod, an interesting genetic fact that we know now about peas is that each pea's individual genetics is specifically related to that particular pea. It doesn't come from the parent plant, but from the pea itself. This means that you don't have to grow as many of the plants to do the same study. It also means that in Mendel's study, the same plant could have both yellow and green peas. They weren't necessarily all going to be the same color. When looking at pea color, he had either the yellow or green peas. All of the F1, the first cross of the two pure lines, were yellow. So he was able to determine that yellow was the dominant trait. But just like with all of the other crosses in the F2 generation, he got both yellow and green peas again. And then he kept going. He took the F2 generation and used them to cross themselves. And again, got both yellow and green peas, but he got a very different ratio. For all of the F2 generation that had green peas, all of those offspring plants also had green peas. However, when he took the F2 generation that had yellow peas, he got very different numbers. So just to make this hopefully slightly simpler, the parental generation 
led to the F1 generation, the first offspring. And he is now taking the yellow peas from the F2 generation, so the second offspring, and breeding them to themselves to see what will happen. All of the green ones were recessive because the yellow pea was the dominant trait. And of the F2 generation that had yellow peas, he ended up with a very different ratio than what he was expecting. Crossing the yellow peas from his F2 generation resulted in having two-thirds of the plants express both yellow and green peas, since, like I mentioned earlier, the peas themselves have their own genetics, versus one-third of the plants breeding true yellow. So all of their seeds were yellow. They didn't have any green peas on that one. This ultimately led to Mendel figuring out that when you crossed the different plant generations, some of them would be heterozygous, meaning they had the trait for yellow peas as well as for green peas, whereas some of them would be homozygous and have only the alleles they needed to express the yellow or green peas, not both. He was able to do this by looking at the ratios he had for plants that bred true to yellow peas, plants that bred true to green peas, and the plants that could end up with both colors of peas. His further studies also showed that the 1 to 2 to 1 ratios of pure yellow to mixed to pure green also was the same for the other characteristics he studied. So the white flowers versus purple flowers, the wrinkled seeds versus non-wrinkled seeds, all of them had that same ratio. And this led to Mendel realizing that he needed to explain not how the 3 to 1 ratio occurred, but actually how the 1 to 2 to 1 ratio occurred, which led to a creative model of hypothesis from his observations and testing that we still use today in genetics. His model contained five key concepts, the first one being the existence of genes. You have to keep in mind this is the 19th century. This is the 1800s. So the amount of information that was available about actual genetics as we know them today basically came from his study. He, he did it. So he had nothing else to base this off of. He knew, though, that because these traits got passed on, something was passing them on. The second part that he figured out was that genes come in pairs, at least for most things. He didn't know about haploid versus diploid back then, but he knew that there must be some combination of two sets because otherwise it made no sense for some of those pea plants to have both colors of peas. They would have only one or the other if only one set of genes got passed on. He also figured out that having of gene pairs occurs in the gametes, or the, the seeds, the eggs and sperm. This explained to him how a offspring pea plant could have the genetics for both the yellow peas and the green peas because it came down the line as each cross bred. It also explained the mathematics of how he got the 1 to 2 to 1 ratio when he looked at his numbers. The fourth concept of his model was equal segregation, meaning that half of your genetic information comes from one parent and half of it comes from the other. 
He didn't know back then about chromosomes splitting and the pairs going in opposite directions and you get half of your chromosome pairs from one parent and half of your chromosome pairs from the other because they didn't have that information back then. But he was able to figure out that you definitely had to get half of your genetic information from one parent and half from the other. The fifth concept of his model was random fertilization. What he meant by this is that the the gametes, the seed and the sperm from the two parental individuals, combine in a random combination regardless of the allele. So just because one gamete came from a yellow peed plant and one gamete came from a green peed plant didn't mean the two were going to seek specific ones. They would just combine in a random combination and then result in the ratios that he got. In order to test whether this concept he had come up with was accurate, Mendel then took two plants. He took a plant that was from the pure line of green only seeds and he crossed it with a plant that was from the f1 generation the first cross generation which grew from a yellow seed so he knew that that second plant the one from the first offspring generation had both alleles because of his previous testing he took that cross and given his model he knew that the ratio he should get in the offspring plants was roughly 50-50. He should get roughly half yellow seeds and half green seeds. And when he did his experiments, that's exactly what he got. He ended up with 58 yellow and 52 green. So almost a perfect one-to-one 50-to-50 ratio. This supported his concept of equal segregation. And in fact, this concept of equal segregation is now sometimes referred to as Mendel's first law. The two members of a gene pair segregate from each other into the gametes. So half the gametes carry one member of the pair and the other half of the gametes carry the other member of the pair. Ultimately boiling down to half of your genetic information is going to come from one parent and half of it is going to come from the other. So that has been a very basic look into genetics and where some of that information that we now have comes from, a la Gregor Mendel. I really hope that I went through everything in a way that was easy to follow. Genetics are not the simplest of subjects, so I know that it's very possible, especially when discussing some of Mendel's experiments, that things may have gotten a little confusing. If you want to try to look it up on your own and do some more research, I definitely support that. I myself used some of my own knowledge from when I took genetics in school, as well as my old genetics textbook, which is called Introduction to Genetic Analysis. It is specifically the eighth edition that I was using by Griffiths, Wessler, Lewontin, Gelbart, Suzuki, and Miller. There's a lot of information on genetics out there for anyone that does want to look it up. I obviously would say that if it's something you think is interesting, but perhaps the explanations I was able to give weren't as clear as you would like, or if you want something more in depth, look further into it, do some research on your own and find out about it. There's a lot of programs out there now where you can even find out more about your own genetics, things like the 23andMe and the one they have at Ancestry.com, things like that, that might give you some information that you can then look further into and find out more about how genetics work and how yours came to be. 
Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Welcome to the Birchfield Institute Archives. Sit with me among these ancient tomes as we explore like sands through the hourglass the days Faustus, of our... what are you doing? Ba- <coughs> hey, Ren. Oh my gods, what is all this smoke? It's just incense for the ritual. How else am I going to reach through the plains to tell these fine folk about all the cool adventures that our friends you have had? You cannot! Hot box in the special collections wing! You will ruin the books! I can fix anything oh, that, that is not broken, the point, man. Faustus. You have to understand that these books are ancient. Threads in the Veil, an audio drama series coming soon to nerdsmith.org. Hey, tried yoga? Crosswords with Will Crossway. Advice and analysis for the musician at the gaming table. Available on nerdsmith.org or wherever you watch your YouTube videos. YouTube, right? Probably YouTube.